Mm. Get out there before you finish your degree. Go and find people who are in the industry you might want to work in and go and talk to them. There's tons of events that are going on in Manchester. That's the other thing that we've got so much of in the area. Before you know it, you, you, you will be in the job that you actually want to do. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Salford, the University of Salford's official new podcast. It's Lachlan Campbell here as today's host in Radio Studio A, and I'm very excited for today's episode in which we will dive in deep to the world of business with a very special guest. So without further ado, a big welcome to Kai Ojo. Kai, how are we doing today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me, Lachlan. Thank you very much for coming down to see us today. So uh, before we crack on, let me tell you a little bit more about Kai. Sakai is originally from Nigeria, and after studying in schools all over the world, he came to study at Salford back in 1996. Kai initially did a foundation in unified engineering systems before an undergraduate in electronics and computer systems engineering. After graduating in 2000, he then did an MBA in general management at Lancaster University's management school. Kai has a passion for people, software and technology, and started off as a software engineer working in Stockport within the automotive sector. For customers such as Ford, Jaguar, Land Rover and Honda before he switched to project management roles working in Leeds, Manchester before joining Planisware in 2016 as the UK and Ireland CEO in setting up their UK office in Media City. Alongside this, Kai is a champion for diversity and inclusion in the region and works with tech businesses, schools and colleges to increase representation and access from underrepresented backgrounds. And in April last year, Kai was appointed as a member of Salford Business School's Industry Advisory Board, which he now chairs. So Kai, you're our first guest uh, outside the realms of arts and media, and also the first graduate we've had who started at Salford's before the turn of the century, which means you can offer a very unique perspective, I'd say, on how the university and the wider city of Salford has changed over the last few years. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with the beginning with your arrival at Salford back in 1996. So after being educated around the world, why was Salford where you then ended up to study? Um, well, it was by chance, probability, situational. Um, so I did my A-levels in London. Um, I didn't do so well in them, unfortunately. Okay. Um, we won't discuss the grades on here. We don't need to. No. Um, and so I went through clearing um, and I had a couple of options on the list. Um, but I came to see Salford first. Mm-hmm. When I arrived at Salford, there was a, a very clear sense of... Um, okayness about the place um not to over exaggerate it but i felt very comfortable yeah when i, when I arrived and i didn't go to see the other place and mm-hmm. i decided i was going to come to salford mm-hmm. it was further enough away from london um, but not too far um and the area felt very cosmopolitan for me close to manchester and yeah so i chose salford straight away without seeing the other option tell me about how the city was as well what what did you know about salford and manchester before you moved up northwest Interestingly, not very much. I knew quite a bit about Manchester, um, dare I say Manchester United and uh, Manchester City, but I didn't know a lot about Salford itself, um, which probably endeared me to the place more than anything, because I quite like the underdog a little bit. And I felt that Salford was kind of hidden behind Manchester a little bit. Um, So no, I didn't know a lot about Salford itself. um, uh, But Manchester, yeah, I knew quite a bit about the place. And what was... Because I think the way the city is now here in 2023 to how it was back in in 1996 i think it must be almost feel like polar opposites when you walk around it now hugely hugely i mean i remember the the city center in manchester and also even salford or even media city where we are now 
when I was at Salford University, it was very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, where we are right now was pretty derelict back mm -hmm. then. Um, I think the BBC building was here already. The Lowry was here. Um, but other than that, I don't remember much else that was here. Even the Trafford Centre was not, was just about getting, started getting built back then from what I remember. Mm -hmm. um, Manchester City Centre, um, very, very different. The Arndale was the old Arndale that we remember yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Um, before what happened back then. Um, but yeah, the, the city was, it was vibrant, um, but not as vibrant as it is now, no, that's, that's for sure. This experience massive transformation, yeah. as you say. Um, as, as a student then, what, what was kind of like your key first experiences of arriving on Salford's campus? You say the campus was, was, felt very comfortable to you, but what was it, what was it about that that felt comfortable? Was it, um... The, the accommodation, the spaces, just the, the kind of lecture theatres. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, it, probably in two, two halves, really. The, the, the accommodation, definitely. It felt like all the students kind of tried to help each other out. Yeah. That was quite noticeable, especially because I stayed in Auckland Halls, which I don't think actually exists anymore, um, which is where the un all the, the first years um, ended up. And a lot of students helped each other out yeah. very, very much. That was very noticeable back then. Very communal, I think mm -hmm. is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, the lecture theatres weren't so welcoming. Um, I found that the, a lot of the lectures and the, the way it was set up was quite distant. Okay. Um, and I couldn't access it as much as I probably would have expected. But mm -hmm. maybe I made assumptions in my own head about that. Um, but the, the campus itself was very active. There was a lot of sports going on, a lot of... I mean, Wednesdays was just sports, and that was it, which was very interesting. Cause did you play any of the sports? I, I did try. It was bizarre, because I actually tried to join the, the football team, because okay. I was playing football when I was at, 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 uh, doing my A-levels. Yeah. I was um, captain of the first team back then, so I wanted to play football. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, this was Salford, next to Manchester. <laughs> Everyone was playing football, so trying to get in the queue to join the club was just not going to happen. <laughs> there was, like, endless queues. Um, incidentally, I picked up basketball at college as well, so I thought, you know what, I'll just go and play basketball. So I ended up playing basketball, but also running the basketball club because it was that smaller team of people around there. That's fascinating. Um, so I was playing for Salford Basketball Club, actually. How did the team do whilst you were there? We did all right. Yeah, yeah. We did all right. We used to, it was funny, really, because I think at one point, during one year, um, for a couple of terms, we were actually called the, um, the Greek basketball team and Kai. Because I was the only non-Greek on the team. It was so bizarre, but it was probably one of the best things I actually enjoyed because it was, again, going back to the very communal, we used to play pretty much every other evening. Um, and then during the weekends, that was it. It was just hit, I think, um, the student at the um, university house. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is called now, but, yeah, I just played basketball all weekend. I think that's lovely. And I think what that is, it's a memory of being as a student. You, you think back to almost a lot of what you did in your spare time sometimes rather than what you did when you when you were actually studying um now you're, you're a bit of a self-confessed tech geek and you've been involved in the software business your whole professional career so what is it about working in tech and software that's been so appealing to you um <clears throat> i think it's the transformational potential that it has for anything mm -hmm. any problem that you have that you can come up with there is usually a tech solution to it if you can look deep enough that can help the problem um, and seeing the creative nature of people kind of use that to find solutions always inspires me because I always think well I never would have thought of that and then someone mm -hmm. else thinks of it and every, I always read a lot of startup magazines mm -hmm. um, I used to aspire to want to have a startup of my own but okay. it's not, not, not for me <laughs> but I always, it always inspires me when someone finds a tech solution that you think god yeah that's so simple now when you see it but then you know it takes someone else's creativity to come up, come up with that 
with the tech solution. I think that technology is, it moves so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember you going back to your previous question about you know what I, what I remember. I remember a lot of the lecturers and the system that we had was so slow to keep up with the pace of technology back then. Mm-hmm. And But now they're changing that. I know, yeah, I know yeah. that for a whole bunch of reasons. But that was one of the problems, challenges that we had as students back then. We couldn't keep up with the pace of technology. And now that I'm in the business world, I can see that. And literally, it's every quarter there is a new way of technology that comes out off off of the back of old technology in some instances. And that power of change, I think, is something that is, as humans, we, we underrate sometimes. Um, if you look back 10 years and then you compare that to the last 50 years, the pace of change, it's phenomenal. It's quite daunting, though, isn't it, with the rate, that speed at which tech is moving and certain access to technology that we have now we wouldn't, we wouldn't have had five years ago. Mm-hmm. And for yourself working in it's quite a high figure within the business world, do you feel that that's something which you always have to be on top of, really, in terms of not just thinking about the way you work with clients and, and other contacts, but in terms of just your staff, in terms of having that access to it? Like, How did you guys cope with um, when the pandemic happened in terms of being able to have um, access to the team and be able to do your day-to-day jobs? Um, oh, gosh, lockdown. Um, that was an experience. <laughs> For all of us. Um, so back then, Planets were UK and Ireland. We actually had only four people. Okay. And all four of us were actually, um, no, three of us, sorry, all, all three of us were actually in Paris at the time when it um, right. kicked off. And I remember Paris had just locked down and we hadn't locked down yet here. Okay. I remember the Paris team was saying to us, what are you doing here? You do know there's a pandemic, don't you? Why are you still here kind of thing? <laughs> and then we were like, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, I remember this was on the Friday. Yeah. And I remember on the flight back thinking to myself, this is going to happen. We're going to end up being in lockdown in the UK as mm. well. So I remember speaking to my team and saying, right, when you get home, as soon as you can, go into the office and get whatever you need and go home. And lo and behold, Sunday evening, we were locked down and that was it. Um, and the technology for us, I mean, we're a tech company, so you would assume that tech would kick in and we'd all be fine. Mm. Actually, that wasn't the biggest challenge. Tech kicked in. Yeah, we all got remote working and we're all fine. It was the psychological impact that I think we are underestimated. Mm the most um, at all levels, not just the senior team or anyone b- beneath them. It was at all levels across all regions. We've got like 13 offices globally. Um, but it took like maybe four, six weeks for everything to kind of normalize a little bit. And then we got back into a rhythm. I was like, right, okay, this is what it is. We know what it is. And this is how we're going to work for the next however many months it might be. And the tech was a huge, huge advantage. I mean, we have a SaaS software. So all our customers, even though they had a, a slight hesitation to get going very quickly they realized that actually this is our lifesaver the plan is where kit is actually what we need and yeah. they ramped up massively um so yeah we to your question about how do we stay on top of it we have to the team are the, are the power behind that so a lot of the people that work in the tech side of the business are curious extremely curious so they're the ones that are always coming up with that what about this what about this mm-hmm. and what about this so they kind of push that upwards to the, to the management team to make sure that we're constantly checking things. Luckily, as a company globally, we, we've got three founders in the business who are tech geeks as well. Um, I mean, our, our global CEO or chairman, he is um, he's a techie at heart. He still actually gets involved in product development every now and then when he can. So we're constantly looking at what tech can do to mm-hmm. help our, our customers in all our different industries that we operate. So it's, yeah, it's probably our... We spend a lot of time with it, a lot of money and time. I would imagine, absolutely. I I think what I'm really interested to know, as you say, is if you're all tech geeks then, so what's kind of been 
the most innovative piece of tech that you've seen that's come out in the last few years to help businesses? Um, ooh, the most innovative? Um, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure I can answer that for <laughs> the most innovative. Um, most interesting then? Something that like j- jumps out to you that jumps, you use? Yeah, jumps out to me at the moment. I think it's... So people talk about AI or machine learning or chat GPT, for yeah. example. And the interesting thing with that is the plan is we've actually been utilizing that kind of technology for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, with machine learning, for example, there's a lot that you can do. And I remember even learning machine learning here at Salford uh, when I did my degree. And mm-hmm. when I talk about new tech coming off the back of old tech, that's a classic example of that, where yeah. it's just evolved and evolved. And all of a sudden, it's seen as this, oh, wow, OK, there's a lot that we can do with it. So. I think we've just scratched the surface. Um, there's a little bit of trepidation on my part about it, but at the same time excitement, because I think it, it it has the potential to offer so much. But like tech, it also has a huge amount of risk associated with it, this one more so than any other that we've seen. So when you say you've got some trepidations about it, what what, what is it that you mean? Um, tech, the more accessible tech is, the the higher the potential of risk, because it means that the control over it. I mean, look at the, in quotes, World Wide Web from way back then. Yeah. And now look how accessible it is and look at the risk that it's created. Although there's a huge potential and a huge benefit that it's added. And one of the challenges that we have with AI and um, any underlying technology that governs that is how to police it. Exactly. How to um, make it accessible, age appropriately. So we're talking about, you know, going all the way back to primary school. Again, yeah. when we talk about innovation, one of the things that I'm keen to tr- try and get tech business to, businesses to do is to push technology back through the education system rather than just waiting for you to finish your degree and then give you tech. Yeah, Tech needs to be given back, given to people as early as possible so they can understand it. Now, you're not going to give chat GPT to someone in primary school. Well, you could try, but... <laughs> I'm sure they'd have a lot of fun <laughs> with it. Have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> so it's hard to kind of build that in an age-appropriate way so that, you know, we can make it as accessible as possible, mm-hmm. but governed in the framework that's not too policing, but at least tries to keep an eye on it a little bit. Yeah. Because otherwise, it, it does get out of hand. Absolutely. Of hand. So when it came to working in management, um, what about that was so appealing to you? Um, I love working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I the, One of my biggest passion with my any team that I've created over the years, even from the first team that I ever had, is seeing them develop, seeing them come in one day and being a certain kind of person and then two days, three days, three weeks, three years look back and go, I've grown and see the the feeling that they show through their facial expression yeah. the body language to see that they've grown and they know mm. they've grown um, I always say to people, tech is tech we can teach you tech but we're a company that helps people transform themselves so that when they leave after being with us for a while to leave a better version of themselves, whatever that might be, whether it's monetary, psychologically, emotionally, whatever it might be, so that we've made a difference. And then they go away and do something better. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, if we're creating those kinds of people, then that's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. How do you keep pace with the way that the industry is operating when it comes to management and the changes that happen, whether it's the outside influences or whether it's within the workplace itself? Um, that's a very difficult one um, because there are, how do you call it, um, not perspective, stereotypes about what management and leadership should be, which is an ever going, an ongoing conversation that will forever go on. And mm-hmm. I'm not professing to try and have all the answers to that. But I think one of the newest or the most prominent innovative thinking around leadership and management is that 
the human mind is becoming more and more aware of itself and each individual is becoming more and more aware of how they present themselves. Mm -hmm. So management is not what it used to be. You don't just tell people what to do anymore. You have to understand how each person receives that information, yeah. how they then interpret it and what it, whether they're motivated by it or not. So you don't just become a manager and a leader and then that's your learning over. You, you've got to keep on top of what it is that it means to manage people, to lead them, to inspire them and to try and get the best out of themselves. They might not even know what that looks like, but you have to give them the tools and the environment. You have to create an environment that allows them to explore who they can be in the work environment as well, um, as well as just private lives as well. I mean, I think a key thing that I kind of want to come on to then is then, so when you're thinking about how you can lead from the front of a business and how you can help your team in order to move forward and learn new skills and be able to utilize those skills do you think a more hands-on approach where you have more visibility with the team or do you think it's about giving them opportunities to progress is kind of the way forward um i think it's probably a bit of both more um more the latter giving them the room to work it out themselves that's very hard as a manager um, certainly for myself anyway, mm -hmm. I am not the best of delegators. I will often try and hang on to something for as long as I can, just because it's slightly instinctive on my part. But for, for, someone, to, for someone to grow and do the best that they can, you, you've got to give them the room to make mistakes. I was given room to make mistakes several times. Now I look back. Back then I didn't know that was what was going on. But I yeah. look back on my mistakes and I never forget them now because no, I, I remember them now. Um, <clears throat> so you need to give the team the kind of autonomy to work out what to do and then come and tell you what they need to do it if you go around telling them what to do um they're not going to grow they're not going to grow so you need to give them the room to work it out um sometimes you need to use your experience to encourage them in certain directions so i know yeah. what the strategy is for the business i know where we're going i'm a member of the board so i understand some of the high level strategies that we have so i have to steer the team a little bit but then i have to let them work out the detail Okay. rather than give them the details. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you, so you're now a CEO, but this really shouldn't be a surprise, I think, given what was written in your life goals as a student, Kai. Um, now, you said, and we when we spoke previously, that you said as a student that you would be a CEO by the age of 40. And you've achieved that. So how how did you achieve that then? What did um, you put it down to? <laughs> Doc, um, how do I put this? Um, persistence? Persistence, yeah. Um... So when I when I left Salford University, I did say that I wanted to be, I think back then, I think I said I wanted to be an MD by 40 or, or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah. And when I look back now, did I know why I wanted to do that? I'm not sure that I knew why, but mm -hmm. it was an aspiration that I had. And, you know, I remember writing several things down around that. And when I had the opportunity to work with Planetsware, it felt so right. I, I, can, I remember when I actually got the offer, I was working in Farnborough. I was in a village gym. If you remember, if you, I think it still exists. Um, and I was on the treadmill. I remember the email coming up, and I must have screamed while I was on the treadmill. While <laughs> in the gym. And I'm sure someone must have heard me thinking it was. Because <laughs> I remember reading it and thinking, that's exactly what I want to do. And yeah. they were offering me the, uh, telling me that they, they, were, they wanted to go ahead and give me the terms of the job. Um, why did I want to do that? I think you have to aim for something. Okay, um, the first five years of working for me, I had a meticulous plan. It was literally mm. year after year. I knew exactly what I was going to try and do, which was okay to a point. Mm -hmm. But um, the aspiration got me through that first five years. After that, I needed to kind of let things settle down a little bit and just see how the plan evolved and, you know, and just go with the flow a little bit. 
I can absolutely attest to that. I think when I first started in my career, I had yeah a 10 year, 15 year, 20 year plan and I haven't stuck to that plan. And you know what, I'm quite glad about that because that was exhausting. And I think you can put so much expectation on yourself as a young person, particularly when you're graduating that I have to achieve this by a certain point. And it could be, you know, people around you giving you advice that, oh, you need to be doing this or earning this much money. But I think in hindsight, it really is about, it's great to have aspirations and goals, Mm. but they shouldn't drive you further than you feel like you can go at a time. Correct. Yeah, so I think that's very well said, Kai. Um, So let's talk about one of the big passions for you, which is diversity. Um, You've previously spoken about how important that is to you and how it is the bedrock of how you run Planet Square. So what is it at Planet Square that you do differently when it comes to diversity and embracing it? Um, I don't hide it. I don't measure it by Mm -hmm. numbers either. Um, Other people might measure it and then show me the numbers, but I don't. Um, when I first started Planets where it was it, it coincidentally at a time when I think I was in my own personal life I was becoming more aware of the challenges around diversity and inclusion and I remember thinking to myself that going back to me saying I wanted to be an MD by the time I was 40 one of the reasons why I wanted to do that was to create a team from scratch so up until that point I'd been inheriting teams and growing the teams rather mm-hmm. than <clears throat> excuse me creating a, a team from scratch and uh, Planets where I wanted to do that with some guiding principles that were me rather than Planisware. So yeah. I could bring the two together. And one of them was DNI. Um and the reason for that was because I mean, putting aside the, the fact that any company, any company that focuses proactively and genuinely on DNI will always do better, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Because by having more people from differing backgrounds and differing uh, mindsets and you know all the different neurodiversity challenges that people might have bringing all of those together you end up with a a, a melting pot of creativity that's just oh, you can't match it if you have that um but at the same time it's about doing what's right mm-hmm. as much as possible and you know going through the education system myself um all over the world and in this country especially and yeah. also my employment um i look back and and i notice how um, underrepresented I was in leadership positions and that's something that I want to try and change as much, as much as possible because if people like myself don't see themselves represented in different in certain roles or different roles they won't aspire to it and that's not because they don't think they can but because they don't think it's for them I um, so I did a lot of work with schools and colleges in the area just to try and be visible to people like me to say, look, mm-hmm. you too can be here. Salford, you know, the local community here, one of the things that I noticed is how, is how inaccessible they feel Media City is. It's something over there, not something for them. So we work in local schools just to bring them in and just spend the day and just see, you know, what is it like to, to be a software engineer or to see some of the other amazing job titles that exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, software engineer is an obvious one, but... It's a it's a big passion of mine, and you know, having three kids of my own, and they tell me stories that sometimes break my heart or sometimes melt my heart, depending on what the story <laughs> is. But either way, it's just how prominent it is at their age. The issues I did I, when I was twelve, thirteen, diversity and inclusion, no idea. I just mm-hmm. went through it, and now, but now I look back, I can see the consequences of the lack of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, any leader, any person of leadership or management in a position of power to be able to make or, you know influence things they absolutely categorically should there's no excuse not to it doesn't 
it barely costs you anything a lot of the time. Um, so I gave up an hour, an hour and a half of my time every now and then to talk in schools and colleges. That will make a difference to some students, a huge difference. You think it's all about visibility, really? In some instances, yes. I mean, you know, schools and colleges, they've got their own challenges. I can't, yeah. you know, you can't pinpoint this to say the school's not doing enough. Yes, they probably could do more, but they've got bigger challenges um, that makes it harder for them to tackle all of these things. So if business leaders can offer that extra help at minimal cost or zero cost in a lot of cases, it will make a huge difference, huge difference. I think that's some lovely words there, Kai. Now, and as you say, you're a father to three teenagers? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you were all part of what uh, what is colloquially known as Generation Z. Um, so do you think, as I think you've alluded to this already, but do you think your work as a CEO that is passionate about diversity is, as you say, inspired by your daughters and what you talk to them about and what you hear from them in terms of their own experiences and their own expectations also of it? Um, hugely. Yes, so I've got two daughters and a son. The son, he's 12, he's 13 um, next month, actually. I think he thinks he's the oldest in the house, bizarrely <laughs> enough. Um, hugely. Um, they they are, compared to, and I don't, and it is, it is a generational thing, but compared to when I, what I was like, what I knew about, I think I knew about when I was their age, mm. they are much more aware. They've got much more data accessible to them about what's going on in the world. Exactly. And they ask much more prominent and probing questions mm. that even I'm like I don't know and I think that's that's a bit of a wake-up call because you know the next generation will be even more aware mm. um, there's a lot of talk about how you know the next evolution of the human you know presence is the mind and the, the children are already showing us now that they're much more aware of who they are where they fit in what their identity is they're asking more and more questions so yes they inspire me they ask me a lot of questions that I'm like um I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> um, and, and they tell me things, and they you know they tell me things that they've experienced, which, like I said, either you know, melts your heart or breaks your heart, because they're experiencing it a lot more raw now in school, um, and in, sometimes in good, sometimes in not very good ways. Yeah. Um, and that just needs to be something that we constantly work on as a society. I think it's, I think it's a challenge um, for yourself as a father, but also as a, as a CEO then in terms of then having children which are so self-aware about the world around them being they as you say children pose so much more challenging questions because they mm. have access to more information than kids would have had previous generations as you say probing questions whether it's the environment whether it's climate change net zero um and they also have access to phones at an early age as well it, it's 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 a hard <laughs> life for a parent isn't it but it's also um do you think it's fine as you say, do you think it stimulates more intellectual conversations with between the elder and the younger generations, also in the workplace? Hugely, hugely. So um, if I take my team um, in planning where currently, they have taught me um, so much, so much. Just in the span, we started in 2016, and I look back to who I was back then, and I barely recognised myself back then compared to now. Yeah. And a lot of the time, I just listen. And it's not just in the UK, so it's got like I've got 13 offices globally, and every now and then we do all get together as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that they know, whether it's around TNI, whether it's around you know um, sustainability, or just what kind of a company are we, and what do we mm -hmm. actually stand for, and what kind of customers do we want, all those kinds of things. Um, back then, I didn't really ask those questions myself of my managers. Yeah. Um, and they don't want 
easy answers either. They don't, and they know that you don't have all the answers. But what they want to know is, are you thinking about these things or are you just trying to make money? And that's it. Um, which is fine, by the way. That's what some, people's are, some companies and some people are about. But a lot more, um, they take a lot more ownership of the company. Which I really, really admire because that you know they see it as if I'm going to invest in this, I want you to invest in me as well. And then, you know, if it works out, then it's a partnership. So, what do you think are going to be the priorities for your children once they're in the workplace? What do you think they'll see as the things that will be really important to them once they cross that threshold? Um, I hate to say it, but I think for someone who works in the industry, it's going to sound very strange, but money is going to be less of an issue. You think? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that they will, the, the financial will be a, 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 an aspect of it. But I think if I look, look at my generation and before, a generation before that, it was all about how much can you earn? What can you get to? And for the most part, not all. Um, I think that's going to be less and less. It's going to be more and more about what do you bring to the society as a company, as an individual, and what are you taking from it? Um, you know, there's a there's a need to try and be a, a net positive contributor to anything that you're in. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be more and more aware of, am I just taking all the time or am I actually making a difference? And they're going to be constantly be aware, a lot more aware of what that net positive situation is, whether it's in the workplace, with their friends and colleagues, at home, in society, the community they live in. I think more and more people are going to be aware of what that looks like. You can already see now people are like, well, yeah, I'm not going to buy a car if I don't need a car because 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 mm -hmm. but whereas 20 years ago you could earn it you just bought a car mm. you didn't really give it that much of a thought oh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah I think the, the it's not going to be complete I'm not implying that you know capitalism is going to go out the window or anything like that but I think people are going to really really think about what their priorities are yeah a lot more than we've done that's interesting and so you've worked in businesses in the Greater Manchester for a lot of your career since graduating. So why did you decide to stay in the area and then encourage Planners Wear to come to Media City? Um, I've got a soft spot for Salford. I really have. Um, and and when we were choosing where to stay, we did look at other other locations. London was number one prior, number one choice at mm -hmm. one point. Um, but I wanted the company to be set up in a, a location that was vibrant but also up and coming. I, I used the phrase underdog uh, earlier on, but. Salford and Media City and then Manchester for me is an, is a, is an area that's very much up and coming mm -hmm. and it's nowhere near done yet. No. And I think that creates an ecosystem that is a lot more um, proactive and also um, ambitious. Yeah. Not to say that all the regions aren't, but when you're up and coming, you kind of have a, lot, a, lot, a bit more um, get up and go about you. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've got colleges and universities on our doorstep around here. So talent, access to talent is great. Um, and Media City is an amazing location because it's you, know, you look at the sustainability. So again, for the talent that we're hiring, they're all aware of that. Yeah. So it ticks a huge box for them. Um, and it's also it's also community. You can live, you can work, you can play all in the same location. And it's only twenty minutes, twenty five minutes from the city centre. So if they wanted to go in the city centre, they can also. Yeah. Um, and I think L London was like I said the first option. It's a contrast to where we are in Manchester and Salford area. I think there's a lot more going on here that is either not communicated or people don't see the value of it yet, and they will. I think it, it comes to an interesting discussion around the rhetoric we've seen from politics over the last five years of levelling up, of mm. uh, providing aspirations to other areas outside London. Um, and as someone that moved to Manchester over the last few years, 
Um, what I would say to that is it, it's about potential. It's about the potential you see in an area, whether it's a place to, to grow a business, a place to grow a family. And I think the dynamics in this country in terms of businesses, um, it is a bit like dog eat dog in mm. terms of other cities around. It's about like, right, well, London's had so much investment for so long. It's about time these other areas and these other cities have access to that as well. And I think Manchester um, is really capitalised on that in terms of being able to, to drive its future potential. I think, as you say, Manchester is not done yet. Mm. There is so much more to come. And you see it just even when you walk around the city, whether it's property, but even just the amount of people, the young families that come into the area. Where, what direction do you think the city is travelling towards? I think Manchester in the region has got the potential to be even more successful than places like London. I genuinely do. And I think that I would very much love people to stop, and I still do it myself sometimes, comparing us to London. Oh, I know, it's hard. I'd rather, let's just sing our own song, let's just do our own thing, and you'd be surprised. And there's a lot of things that are going on in Manchester that are never, ever talked about. And, you know, the things that we're doing at Salford University, for example. And I always say to them, well, why are you t talking about this? Because if you don't talk about it, no one knows you're doing it, and mm -hmm. then you don't get the kudos for it. Um, so I think it has the, the potential to be a huge superpower in the UK. Um, and yeah, it's on the trajectory to be that. It really is. So can we talk about <coughs> your role on the industry advisory board? So, so what was the key um, What was the key thing for you to try and get involved in that? What was it that drove you to get to get back involved in the university? Um, having, because I was there uh, as a student myself, I knew that there was a a need to be to have representation in certain quarters of the university and yeah. the university they're doing a lot more about that now so it was kind of like a, a meeting of minds in the way because we were both thinking the same thing um, and I wanted to give something back as much as possible I know it's a bit of a emotive statement to make but Salford University defined a lot of who I am now for me um, if I hadn't been to Salford I don't think I would be sat here in this chair talking to you um i wouldn't be in plan is where because the you know, things happen for a reason and when i left salford um i genuinely knew that i didn't want to leave the area anyway mm. i don't know why i just stuck around a little <laughs> bit um and <clears throat> excuse me when the opportunity came up to 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 take to, to be a member of the board it was it was a case of well, what would i bring what would i be able to add back in yeah. rather than just sit in a meeting have a few conversations mm -hmm. and kind of go back to my own day job and in my mind, I wanted to make sure that I was an active player in it. Um, so it's, there were three things. One was the DNI, that was the number one reason for me to join. I wanted to show the students that they were represented I at see. that level and also help the school to make sure that, you know, anyone from underrepresented backgrounds was looked after as much as they possibly could. The second was around trying to bring businesses into schools, into the cult, into the, the university, because on, until unless you do more and more of that what happens is there's a gap between university and business and when people leave university they kind of have to take this leap of faith that they'll be all right they, they might be and i have been but sometimes they're not because they have no idea what it means to work what mm -hmm. it means to be in a place of work what it means to sit in front of a customer and have a very difficult conversation with the customer <clears throat> i mean Tulfi university is doing some amazing stuff with immersive tech around this by the way which is probably worth another podcast on um, <clears throat> but trying to bring businesses into the schools to show students what it's like and give them the experience to come into the business as well. So I mentor a number of different students who come into my office. I just give them an hour and they chat about yeah. what their aspirations are, what they might want to do. 
I wish I had that when I was at Salford because they ask some of the most obvious questions that they just don't have the answers to. So someone else who's not in their educational establishment, giving them a perspective they didn't know about, that was something that I wanted to give back yeah. uh, as much as possible. And Salford Business School is very aspirational. Um, the team who are leading it, they've got very big ambitions. And I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to help them, you know, steer it into the right direction. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was. I couldn't resist it. <laughs> I think we're very glad to have someone like you on board with it. You've definitely got a real passion. Um, we're going to do some hot takes now. So what these are is short, simple questions <coughs> um, to kind of round things off. So first one from me would be, now you're, you're someone that, that's grown up a fam that you've grown a family up in the area. So, what is your favourite family activity to do in the Greater Manchester area? Ooh, bowling. Bowling. Yeah. <laughs> um, my kids are quietly competitive, okay. so <clears throat> we always try and find different places to go bowling and then have pizza or, or whatever. So, yeah, they enjoy that a lot. Are you the one that usually comes out on top, or are you um, usually beaten in the alleys now? I try to beat them, um, but sometimes my own enthusiasm actually makes me lose sometimes. Um, but they, 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 they've got two of them are very good. They're very, very good. Um, but they're allowed to have the what they call them the sleepers. Oh, yeah, the, the bumpers. Yeah, the yeah. bumpers. They're allowed to have those, and I'm not. So that is one of the hardest things about being an, ad an yeah. adult when it comes to bowling. Because yeah, as a kid, you have those bumpers. You think, oh, well, he's just going to hit all of them at some point. Yeah. But when you get to an adult, oh, I really struggle with bowling now <laughs> as a result. So yeah, I'm definitely yeah. with with you in that camp um, so what do you think is best place to set up a business Manchester City Centre or Media City oh Media City yeah easily but I am biased I know you're biased yeah it's biased. kind of a biased yeah. <laughs> I would say Media City there's so much more I'll caveat that with the fact that I know that there's a lot in, in Manchester City Centre that's now been modelled off what we've got in Media City in mm -hmm. terms of the working spaces there's some amazing new working spaces there yeah. in Manchester which are miles away from when I was trying to set up Planet Square. Back yeah. then it was your classic corporate settings, mm -hmm. which just, you know, weren't great. But there's more and more of that now. So yeah, but I was still saying Media City. <laughs> <laughs> At last one then. So what would be your best bit of advice for any of our students that are studying project management or wanting to go into the business world now? Um, networking. Mm. Get out there before you finish your degree. Go and find people who are in the industry you might want to work in and go and talk to them. Don't hesitate because a lot of students assume that or they'll say no or they'll say they're too busy or they will say they haven't got the people to help you. Still, ask because if you ask and they say no, you're on their radar. Okay? Um, and network. There's tons of events that are going on in Manchester. That's the other thing that we've got so much of in the area. Networking events to just meet business leaders, whether it's startups, scale ups, enterprise companies, tech companies, fint. There's tons of them. Find them, and a lot of them are free as well find them get your name out there get your linkedin profile going and just network get your name out there as much as possible because before you know it you'll be doing you know volunteering work in different companies and before you know it you you, you will be in the job that you actually want to do that is a perfect place to end on kai thank you so much for coming over to see us thank you for having me it's been a pleasure and that brings us to a close today. So look, if you're enjoying the podcast, do leave us a review and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you also can watch us on YouTube. So if you fancy uh, giving us a watch in HD, then do check us out on there. But until next time, goodbye. <laughs>